A settling life is a life that never changes. It's a life that passively accepts the status quo and describes a person that never passionately pursues more. This message is the second in the series, I Will Not Settle. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Direction. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. What kind of things do you dream about? When you have a moment just to do some daydreaming, what generally comes to mind? Your daydreams say a lot about you, a lot about your desires in life, and everybody has them. In the world that we live in today, we live in the internet society, the internet world, and sadly, in some ways, the internet has actually given place to worlds of fantasy for people. They live a life that is fake and a life that's lived in another world because they don't like the world they're in. And so they create an online world for themselves because they don't like what they're dealing with in life. And life is hard at times and sometimes it's easier just to dream about a different life. If we could peer into the souls of most folks, we would find that inside the average human being, you're going to see things like a feeling of unfulfillment and hopelessness oftentimes. For some folks, there are a lot of angers inside and frustrations with life. There are all kinds of things that people carry inside of them that cause them to want to get out of their world into some other world. And sadly, oftentimes there's not a lot of difference when it comes to these kind of things. Uh, when you compare Christians with non-Christians. Sometimes the Christians will have some of the same issues that non-Christians have. And when you get on the real deal, the inside of where people live, there's oftentimes this kind of aching thing on the inside. But the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we know there's more. Even though we may not be there yet, there's something inside that says, I know there must be more. And if you have Jesus in your life, even though you may not be at the place where you want to be in life, you may not be as fulfilled as you would like to be, there is the testimony of the Holy Spirit inside of you that says, my life was meant to be more. And for our lives to experience all that God has in store for us, part of that more process involves some things that we must do. It's a journey to more. So where we are today, if we want more of what God has planned for us, we have to get on the right path. We have to get on the right road. We have to take the journey. And while there might be some miracle moments along the way on the journey, we don't live by the miracles. We live by a process. The Christian life was never meant to be from miracle to miracle. The Christian life was meant to be from step to step. That we're called to walk out our Christian faith, not with all these massive, amazing miracle moments, although God is a miracle-working God, and I truly and absolutely believe in the miracle-working power of God. But God puts us on a journey toward maturity, and it's not a mystical process. It is supernatural, but it's supernatural in sort of a natural way by using one simple gift that God has given to every one of us. Every person here has the gift necessary to find the more that God planned for your life. And that gift is simply this, the power of your will, the power of your choice, choosing the right thing in life. There's one thing that can never fully be taken away from you, and that's this gift that God gave you, the power of choice. 
You might recall, some of you, if you've studied history, may recall a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, in 1942, a Jewish man, was taken captive by the Nazis, placed in a concentration camp for three years. And he worked very diligently in that concentration camp to maintain his sanity and to help those around him under horrendous conditions to somehow keep their minds together, to remain sane. And what he learned in that process was something that is very clear, I think, to you and me, great lesson. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, and that is the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. He says, no matter what the Nazis did to me in my environment, I still had the power, even though I could not control my environment and I could not control my circumstances, I had the power to choose my attitude, the power of choice. And Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, this very description of this wonderful gift that God has given to each one of us is described. God speaks these words to his people, to us as well. Notice what's said here today. God says, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. God says, here's what I want for you. I want you to will to do my will. What I want is you to make the choice to choose life. I want you to will to do my will. I want you to make good, right choices. And so in this series of messages, we're looking at some choices that we make. And the first choice is the choice, I will not settle. If you're going to have the best life that God intends for you, you start with the choice, I will not settle. Say it with me. I will not settle. This is the hardcore first step on the journey. It's where the rubber meets the road of saying, wherever I am in life right now, I am not going to settle for, for where I am. God made me for more. I will not settle for less. So tonight I'm going to share with you three lessons that will help you to understand this, the importance of this very important decision, I will not settle. The first point tonight is this, there's a big difference between being settled and settling. There's a big difference between being settled and settling. Words matter. And you can't understand a principle, for example, the principle that I'm describing tonight and in this series, I will not settle. You can't understand that unless you understand the terms that are being used. And I want to help you to understand this phrase, I will not settle. There's a big difference between being settled and settling for a life that is less than God's best. Being settled is a good thing. In fact, being settled is actually one of the goals of spiritual maturity. God wants you and I to be solid and stable and responsible and dependable and planted and committed. People like this are the ones that you can count on to carry the load, to do the work, to make things happen. It is a good thing to be settled. The Bible highlights and the Bible actually praises settled people. Settling in this sense, being settled is a good thing. But it's not a good thing to live a, a settling life. A settling life is a life where you've simply said, you know what, I'm just going to settle for less than best. I'm settling in the way things are, and I'm not going to change. You know that's where a lot of people live? 
without even realizing it, they've settled into a life environment where things are always the status quo, things never change, and they never really even consider the possibility of changing their life in a positive direction. They have settled in either to something that is comfortable or uncomfortable, but they've accepted it as being a part of their life. So it's good to get settled, but it's not good to live a settling life, settling for less than best. The second thing I want to share with you this evening is that to avoid settling, you have to become unsettled in a good way. Until someone sees their need for change, feels their need for change, and admits their need for change, nothing changes. No one, I've learned this over the years. No one changes until they want to. I've tried my best to change, change some people over the years. You had the same situation I've had, right? Come on, be, be honest. Anybody ever tried to change somebody, okay? Only half of you? That's amazing. The rest of you are saints, okay? You've never tried to change someone to make them better, make them more like you wanted them to be? Of course, we all have, okay? Have you noticed that you're very unsuccessful with that journey, right? Because you can't change anyone. There's no way that you, as an external force, can actually exert enough influence on another person to change them until they get to a place of seeing their need for change or wanting to change and, and accepting that in, in their own sphere, in their own world, in their own heart. Jesus made this very clear when he began his ministry. The first thing that Jesus did when he began his ministry was he addressed this issue of change. He caused people to address the settling issue in their life. Notice his words in Matthew uh, chapter 4, actually the description of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Bible says that when Jesus began his ministry, he began it with one primary word. And what was the word that you saw there? Say it with me. It is repent. Say it with me. It is repent. When Jesus came on the scene, when he began to teach and preach in his earthly ministry, the very first word he would often speak when he would gather a crowd was the word repent from your sins. Repent. Interesting. We often think of the word repent as, as the guy on the side of the road holding up a, a sort of turn or burn sign saying repent or perish, that kind of an idea. And while there's truth to that, sometimes we have a wrong perception of what that word means and, and, and we need to revisit it again. When Jesus said repent, he was in essence using a very important Greek word. The Greek word is metanoia and it means to have a change of your mind. Jesus was saying, I want to shake you up a little bit. I want to step into your settling world and I want to shake up your settling world to call you to change the way that you think and to change the way that you live. I'm going to shake you up, shock you a little bit and stir you out of your, your, your settling life. Repent of your sins. I believe that if Jesus were to step on this platform in human form tonight, we know he's here by his spirit, but if he were to to appear to us in human form. And I, I, I believe he probably would say that same word to us, repent. Because so often we get caught into the sinful realms of life and the self-centered ways of living and the way that the world is around us and we settle into this comfortable lifestyle or settle into our own ways and Jesus comes along and says, I, I want you to repent and to have more you and I have to become unsettled with who we are and how we're living right now. And if you're not unsettled, 
you'll never find the right kind of settled in your life. Unsettling precedes the right kind of settled. Here's the third thing I want to talk to you about. This is where I want to spend most of my time this evening. Before we go to the third point, let me just remind you of this. It's an important phrase. Jesus has to shake you up before he can grow you up. Say it with me. Jesus has to shake you up before he can grow you up. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Go ahead and tell them that means you, okay? Jesus has to shake you up before he can grow you up. That's what we're talking about. The third point is that God seeks to unsettle us in different ways. He tends to shake us up in a variety of ways. I want to talk you through, through this section tonight because this is the heart of my message this, this weekend. To shake you up, God has to get your attention, correct? God has to get your attention. He can't change you. He can't lead you into more without your attention. And, and unfortunately, for, for a lot of us, we don't give God our full attention. We sort of give Him a little slice of our attention, maybe on the weekend or sometime during the week, and maybe a little slice during the day. But, but generally speaking, we have a tendency to sort of put God and put Christ out of our minds and just go about our business day in and day out. And we, we don't allow Him to occupy a lot of our thinking. And so God says, if I'm going to shake you up to get you out of where you are now into the more life I have for you, I have to have your full attention. And God uses a lot of different means to get people's attention. Because when he gets your attention, then he can motivate you to actually start making the internal changes that are necessary because God wants you to experience more, right? We're here with him, right? God's plan for your life is that we far more than you have right now. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full, to have the fullest life possible. And so he comes into our world and he shakes us up, he he. he does things in our world to get our attention so that we're motivated to change. And change always has to be motivated. You, you don't, people don't change without some level of motivation for it. Pain or pleasure often is the, are the two things that will cause people to adjust their behavior. So God comes into our world and he begins to work in ways to get our attention so he can shake us up, so he can grow us up into more. And so I'm going to talk to you about eight ways that God gets your attention. Are you ready for this? Okay. And so we're going to look at eight ways that God works to get your attention. Number one, God gets your attention to change your life through revelation. Say that word with me. Revelation, okay. Revelation is defined as a divinely enlightened moment of understanding. A divinely enlightened moment of understanding. Revelation is when you are not thinking anything about something and God comes along and boom, you suddenly get it. It's there. It's not there because you studied it. It's not there because you, you got it from somebody else. It's just God broke into your world and you, were, you, you once were blind, but now you see. As the songwriter said, it was a moment of revelation. And all of us have had those moments in life, most likely, where God comes along and he sort of wakes you up and you get something you never got before. 
I can look back on my life and remember significant moments of change that happened in my life because God in a moment, as I was seeking Him or praying or in a worship service or, or just reading my Bible, it was that moment that the Holy Spirit showed up in my life and said, boom, there it is. And I saw things that I'd never seen before. Anybody had a moment like that in your life before that God comes along and suddenly you see stuff you didn't see before and it changes everything about the way you think and many times about the way you live and just that moment of revelation Paul the apostle had this he was actually Saul of Tarsus before he's known as the apostle Paul and you know the story in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is going uh, Saul of Tarsus is going up to Damascus to persecute believers and on the way there he is stricken with light with with a light knocked down to the ground by the glory and presence of God and there in that moment realizes that the one he's going to persecute is Jesus the one that he's going to attack the Christians he's going to attack is really the one he's attacking those who are naming the resurrected Savior and he has an encounter with Jesus who is alive and there in that moment Saul of Tarsus who is a persecutor of believers is radically transformed because he has a revelation he is never ever the same again from that time forward his life was radically reversed change 180 degree turn happened to him why because God showed up in his world and spoke to him just boom there it was one of the things that I'm praying that is a part of this series, and I want to pray this as we come to the conclusion tonight for you, is that you, this, in this series, in this particular time that we're going through right now in our church together, that you would have some incredible moments where God just wakes you up and gives you some revelation that will change your life. You know that God can do that, amen? He is the revealing God. He's the revealing God. He has the capacity to pull off the blinders and help you to see, but you must want that. You must desire that in your life. And so the first way that God gets your attention is by revelation. Paul is an example of this. His life was forever changed on the road to Damascus by a revelation of Jesus. Second way that God gets your attention is through information, okay? Revelation and information. Information is knowledge that's obtained about something that will provide you facts and ideas that you didn't know before or you didn't understand before. It's not as though necessarily that God in a divine moment reveals something to you, but, but in a teaching session, in a, in, a, in a verse that you read in the Bible and study, in a message like we're going through uh, this weekend, you hear something and that, that light turns on inside of you. It is revelation based upon information that you receive. And so God educates you. He gives you information in your life so you understand things that you didn't know before. That's why the study of the Bible is so important. As you study your Bible, you get information information. You begin to get divine information. You learn the ways of God and the thoughts of God and the, 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 the promises of God become available to you and you begin to take them in and your mind working together with the Holy Spirit in you begins to help you understand things you did not understand before and then that changes the way you begin to think and live. Notice John chapter 8 verse 32. You know this verse very well. Why don't you read it together with me aloud and loudly. Here we go. And you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. And so a lot of people are not living in freedom because they haven't learned the 
truth. And the truth, of course, that's referred to here is the truth of God's Word, the truth of Jesus' teaching. And so as we dive into truth, as we allow it to get into us, it begins to to, to set us free internally. It breaks chains of bondage in our lives. I cannot tell you the numbers of times in my own life where God has gotten my attention just by a verse of Scripture as I meditated upon it. And I began to understand, oh, that's what that means, or that's how that works. And I begin to say, wow, that's for me, or a promise from the Scriptures that come, will come alive in my own life. And suddenly I am free by truth, freed by truth, that a chain that I had on me before is gone forever, and I'm able to step into a new level of liberty. I begin to step into more, amen, okay? Anybody want to step into more? How do you step into more? By revelation, by information. Are you ready for the third one? What is it? agitation to agitate is to disturb to move to stir up those moments that God will allow you to be in a circumstance in your life that stirs you to pray a prayer you've never prayed before that stirs you to make a commitment that you've never made before that stirs you to say God if you'll just get me out of this I will tithe 50%, okay? Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that before? God, if you'll just do this for me. I mean, we make all kind of promises to God in those moments. God, if you'll just help me with this, I will. this will change for good in my life. Now, for, for some folks, it does change. And for others, others of us, we have to find our way back to the agitation again later, okay? But notice this story in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It's the story of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And notice what happens. Notice the agitation that God used to get his people where they needed to be. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. So what are, what are they facing right now? The burden of it's not just slavery, but it's the burden of slavery. It's a very strong word that's used there. So they're in agony. They're going through a really difficult period of time as a, as a nation, as a group of people, as, a, as families. They're just facing horrible conditions. And the Bible says, notice what happens is they're groaning. That's a strong word, right? They're agitated, they're stirred up, they're groaning. The Bible says that they cried out for help and their cry did what? Rose up to God. What we're seeing here is that these folks got more serious than they'd ever been in their entire life with God. God sometimes in your life will allow there to be agitating moments that he will bring along your way just to get you to the place that you're more serious with him than you've ever been in your entire life. That's what's going on. They become serious with God. They cry out to God. And the Bible says that in verse 24 that God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, read the rest with me, and knew it was time to act. That's when God brought Moses on the scene and everything changed. They went from slavery to freedom. They found their more. Are you with me here? 
I will not settle for less. God made me for more. But to get to the more, I can't live a settling life. I have to say, okay, I'm going to repent, okay? I've got to change some things. God needs my attention. Let's review it again. How does God get your attention? By revelation, information, agitation. What's the fourth one? Confrontation. Sometimes God has to bring confrontation into your life to help you to understand what you need. That's to address. The word confrontation means to address in an honest and direct way. Notice the story in Matthew chapter 16. Let me tell you what's going on, okay? Jesus has been with his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi. They've had a wonderful experience. Uh, Jesus had asked them the question, who do people say that I am? And Peter had said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Peter was just like, wow, I got this right by revelation. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. Uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, they had had a great moment, okay? A fantastic moment. And then they start heading back toward Jerusalem and Jesus starts telling them things they didn't want to hear. He starts telling them about how he's going to go back to Jerusalem. He's going to die. He's going to have to die and suffer and die there in Jerusalem. And they didn't, especially Peter did not want to hear this, okay? Peter did not want to hear this at all. Now notice what happens here in Matthew 16. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine Peter saying, Jesus, got to talk to you. Come here. Stop saying this stuff. I mean, this is Peter, okay? How many Peters we got in the group here, right? It's, this is a guy that should have known better. He just had this amazing moment at Caesarea Philippi, and now he's heading back, and he does something really, really stupid. I mean, you start reprimanding Jesus, not real smart. Okay, right? So let's see what happens here in the story, okay? Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. How many know that Peter needed to change? Right? Notice verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Peter. No, I didn't say that, right? Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. I call that a confrontation. How about you, okay? I mean, if you're now being called Satan, that's bad, okay? Just so you know, if you don't understand this, that's bad, okay? But it was this moment that was a turnaround moment that helped Peter to understand the importance of Jesus' crucifixion, the fact that Jesus would have to die for the sins of the world, but Peter needed that in his life at that moment to help him to get things he was not getting. And so God will bring along things in your life to get, I look at some of the things that God has used in my life to get my attention at times. They're so valuable. They hurt at times, but they're valuable in the process. So how does God speak to you? How does God get your attention to get you to more? By revelation, Information, agitation, confrontation. Number five is 
necessitation. Sometimes God just gets you in a place where your survival depends upon changing. If you don't change, your marriage isn't going to survive. If you don't change, your kids are going to not be raised in the things of God. They're going to miss out on the opportunity that God has. There are all kinds of ways that if you don't change, you're going to miss an important moment. So it's necessary for you to make a change. Necessity demands it in your life. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Listen to this story. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, by the way, here's the background of that. Ahab was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, and uh, his wife, a uh, lady by the name of Jezebel. So Ahab and Jezebel, very wicked. They served, the, they served Baal. They were terrible idolaters in the way that they approached things, just absolutely wicked people. And so Eli- Elijah, who is the prophet at this time, is told by God to proclaim a, a drought and famine in the land. So he says to King Ahab, let me tell you something. It's not going to rain. Nothing's going to come your way from heaven above for the, until I say so for the next few years. Famine is coming. It was not just Elijah's this desire to make this declaration. He was speaking the word of the Lord of judgment against the king. Everybody got that? Okay, got it? Okay. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. And so God says, Elijah, it's not going to rain for a long time, but I want to sustain you in the midst of this. So you go to this brook, and I want you to set up a camp there, and you've got water that's going to flow by, and I'm going to bring the birds, the ravens will bring you food every day. I'm going to sustain you in this period of time. Let's read further here what happens, all right? Notice verse number seven. But after a while, what happened? What happened? Has your brook ever dried up? After a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Let me stop there, and we'll talk about this story. So here's Elijah. He's being taken care of by the brook until the brook dried up. And Elijah has to make a choice. What am I going to do? The birds have been feeding me every day. I've been drinking from this brook. This is what sustained me. And he comes to a point of necessitation. And there in his moment of necessitation, he receives the word from God to go from there to a place called Zarephath where a widow took care of him. We have that amazing story of this widow of Zarephath and the miracle that happened in her life. As you can read that in 1, Samuel, 1 Kings chapter 17. But you see that God got his attention for the next stage of his life by necessitation. There was, a, there was something that his survival depended upon. For some of you, perhaps this very evening, that your survival depends upon you making a change in your life. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your kids. It might be in your finances. 
It might, it could be in a variety of different areas, but God's brought you to a place where it seems like it's just dried up. And God says, now I've got your attention, okay? So how does God get our attention? How does God unsettle us so that we move forward with Him? By revelation, by information, by agitation, by confrontation by necessitation and number six is exasperation I bet you've never had that one have you let me tell you what exasperation is exasperation means to wear out by the constant presence or pressure of something to be worn out by the constant presence or the constant pressure of something generally a problem In Acts chapter 16, there was Paul and Silas had gone into the territory of Macedonia. They ended up in Macedonia by miracle in of itself, by God's guidance to them, because they tried to go to the east, but they could not get into the east. This Bible says the Holy Spirit forbade them from going there. And so uh, they heard the call. Paul received a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to come and preach the gospel there. And so Paul was obedient to that vision and Paul and Silas go into Macedonia and to a city by the name of Philippi. You have a book in your New Testament called the book of Philippians which is written to the church at Philippi. And so Paul goes into this territory of Macedonia. It's a very significant moment in church history because the first time the gospel is being preached in Europe. Okay, And so that's when the gospel turned west. Okay, So the gospel began to move west at that moment and, uh, and it moved into, uh, into Eastern Europe in that part, part of the world. And of course, uh, the Western civilization has been affected by reason of that, obviously, and the Christian influence associated with it. But Paul and Silas were taking new territory, okay? And so they're facing spiritual opposition, big-time spiritual opposition. See, let me tell you something. When you try to advance, let me tell you, the devil doesn't like it. You with me here? Okay. Don't you think that if you're going to just sort of prounce out, everything's going to be fine when you try to take new territory and go for more of the devil? will fight you along the way, okay? We'll fight you. But here's Paul and Silas trying to go into new territory. They're facing opposition. And one of the points of opposition was a, little, was a, a man that ran a business with a slave girl who foretold future, was fortune teller for people, okay? And so he would charge money and she would tell their fortune by the demon's inspiration. And he was making a living off of her. And of course, that was, Paul's going to have to deal with that. Let's read the story now and see what happens Acts chapter 16, okay? This little demon-possessed girl was running around shouting at Paul and Silas everywhere they would go. They, this little demon girl with a slave owner would show up. And the Bible says that this went on day after day until Paul got so, what's the word there? exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her boy I want to preach on this one but I don't have time to tonight sometimes 
When the devil's at work in your life, you need to get to a point that you're so exasperated that finally you rise up and say, in the name of Jesus, it's just not going to be this way any longer. I'm taking a stand of faith. I'm rising up in victory, and I'm making a declaration that you are no longer going to traffic in the territory of my life. Adversary, in Jesus' name, you may not access my family. In Jesus' name, you may not access this realm of my life, whatever it might be, and you rise up with something inside of you because you're finally exasperated enough with what the adversary has done that something rises up and says, I am not going to live under this assault any longer in Jesus' name. And suddenly, listen folks, suddenly you move from here to there. You step into more. But as long as you settle for what the adversary is doing, he'll just trample you all day long. But finally, Paul said, I am so exasperated with you demon girl and the demon in this little girl. In the name of Jesus, come out of her. She was liberated in that moment. Of course, that led to them putting it, be, being put into prison and Paul and Silas in jail. The amazing miracle, the earthquake that took place, far more than I can talk about. But there's a moment of exasperation that led to them stepping into more, right? So how do we change? Number one through, help me out church, I'm teaching tonight. Revelation, information, agitation, confrontation, and, and the next one. Inspiration. Inspiration is a vision that makes you want to do something, that influences you to act. What I hope is happening here this this weekend, I hope you're being inspired. Inspiration is when you hear something or receive something, it begins to, to, see the word inspire means God breathe. That's the idea, that there's breath in you, okay? And in Jesus' name tonight, I pray that the breath of God would come into you. That you would feel and know, yes, I can enter into more. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let me reverse that because it's equally true. Where there is vision, the people flourish. If there's, where there's no vision, people perish. Where there is vision, people flourish. You flourish in your life. Here's a vision Jesus has for you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. We're just about done. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. There's one last word I want to give you. God gets our attention through, say it with me, excruciation. Okay, I saved that one for last. Excruciation is intense pain. And the change that happens in your life is through excruciation happens when the, the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of making the change. You hear what I just said? The pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of making the change, okay? Because every change in your life, every positive change, when God works in you, it, 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 there's, change is not fun for anyone. It, it hurts. There, there are things that you have to work on and deal with in your heart. 
Now notice this story. It's a very well-known story. I'm going to actually do an entire message on this story uh, through in, as a part of this particular series, but I want to touch on it tonight just for a moment. First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. By the way, the name Jabez in Hebrews means you are a pain. That's what it means. Literally, it means you are a pain. So, I mean, how would you like to have a mom that loved you that much, okay? Like, as soon as he was born, you are a pain. That was what he carried with him his entire life. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. And by the way, he, he lived his life with that label upon his life. You're nothing. You're worthless. You are a pain. Every time his name was called, it was a reminder of that reality in his life. But here's what happened. Out of the excruciating pain of his life, the Bible says he was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from trouble, trouble and pain. And notice what happened. God granted his request. Out of the excruciating pain of his own labeling, his own emotional scars, Jabez cried out to God and found deliverance. He went from less to more. God's plan for your life is a more life. But the more life happens by God beginning to get your attention. It happens through repentance, by your willingness to change your mind and to change the way you live, the way you think, and the way you live. For you to do that, God has to have your attention. And these eight things that we've just described are the eight ways that God is trying to get it. Which of the eight are at work in your life today? Which of the eight ways is God utilizing in your life right now to say, wake up, because Jesus has to shake you up before he grows you up. Amen? He shakes you up before he grows you up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this evening. We're so grateful for the reminder of the truth of your word. Thank you that you do shake us up, Lord, to grow us up. And I pray that in Jesus' name that we would be responsive, that we would be quick to repent, that, Lord, you would have our full attention tonight. And, Lord, as we go forward in the days to come, so realizing that you have made us for more, we will not settle for less in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior. 
the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.